1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the term, the world, is a very important technical term in Christian theology. We have to understand what this word world means. Now, its meaning is obviously closely linked to the actual physical earth. For this earth is the only realm to which the unbeliever belongs. Whereas the Christian, whilst being a temporary resident upon earth, is also a citizen of heaven and will be so forever. Furthermore, this physical earth, in contrast to heaven, is only of a temporary nature for both Christian and non-Christian alike. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 18 and verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. When we come across this term, the world, we must understand that it actually relates to the exact opposite of the kingdom of God. The world is the domain where Satan reigns supreme. That is in terms of men's affections. Satan, or the devil, uh, is an angel who has been cast out of God's presence in heaven. And so his only sphere of effective activity is the air of this world. And so he is referred to as the prince of the power of the air. Now, if men do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, then they are in allegiance with Satan and they belong to this world. <clears throat> As Satan is actually described in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 as the God of this world. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So every single non-Christian, including the most sophisticated and well-educated non-Christians, are blinded by the God of this world. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 2, describes uh, in further detail the situation of the non-Christian. Ephesians 2, 2. The non-Christian walks according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. 
So this term, the world, uh, has a vital ethical, theological dimension to it. It means the whole realm in which unbelief and rejection of Jesus Christ reigns. The world is the whole system in which men live out their lives without reference to God. Now, a man either belongs to the kingdom of God or he belongs to the world, the kingdom of Satan. One either believes in Jesus Christ or in the man-made philosophies of the world. Now, the word world obviously also carries with it a connotation of universality because the majority of people are non-believers. Sin and unbelief are the norm. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man by nature always embraces God-rejecting philosophies in his way of thinking. And so, when we're dealing with non-believers, we are dealing with those who belong to the world, who are outside of the kingdom of God. Sometimes you hear people saying, uh, referring to all people, we're all children of God. Well, well nothing could, could be further from the truth. Uh, because all who are not believing in Christ uh, belong to the world and to the kingdom of Satan. Now, uh, very important in this context is Colossians 2 and verse 8. And uh, would that this verse were displayed uh, across the front door of every church in the land. Colossians 2 verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And so there the Apostle Paul is warning the Colossian Christians of being led astray by man-made thinking, of being led astray by the philosophies of this world, which are completely contrary to the teachings of God's word. And all the problems in the contemporary church today can be traced to conformity to the world. In other words, Christian teaching is being compromised as churches, desperate to appear popular and attract people into them, adapt their teachings to please the world and to conform to worldly ways of thinking. And perhaps the most classic recent example of this uh, is the ordination of women in, into the Christian ministry. Uh, that is an instance of total capitulation 
to the philosophies of this world. Uh, it is submission to the anti-Christian philosophy which we call uh, feminism. And uh, it is tragic that so many churches have given way to the world. Now, um, the Apostle Paul says an awful lot in the New Testament about the need to be separate from the world. For example, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And uh, Paul goes on there in 1 Corinthians 1 to explain that no one will ever find God if they employ worldly wisdom. The world by wisdom, that's its man-made wisdom, knew not God. Therefore it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So all the great philosophers, all the great minds in uh, the universities, they will never find God by means of their human wisdom. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The wisdom of this world says that this earth was created by chance 13.5 billion years ago. That's the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world uh, looks up to Charles Darwin as a great thinker. Someone who discovered the truth. Uh, rather than what he really tragically is, an underminer of the truth. <clears throat> but you see, uh, Charles Darwin, the wisdom of this world. <clears throat> and what happened in the 19th century? Um, after the publication of Darwin's The Origin of Species in, in 1859, <clears throat> vast numbers of churches, including evangelical churches, began to embrace uh, Darwin's teachings on evolution. And so the authenticity of the biblical account of creation uh, was undermined. And, and if you undermine the authenticity of Genesis chapters 1 to 11, you also undermine the authenticity of the rest of Scripture. But you see, the root of the problem is conformity to the world. The world has a system of values utterly opposed to the Christian gospel. To believe the gospel is to leave the world. To become a Christian is to leave the world. Peter describes Christians as those who have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 2 Peter 1.4 You see, the world is full of God-rejecting sinful desire. To become a Christian is to leave the world's lusts, philosophies and belief systems. To become a Christian is to change kingdoms. It is to defect to the other side. It is to transfer one's allegiance 
But what do we see in our own day? We see many churches actually becoming captive to the spirit of the age and to the fashions of this world, even introducing uh, the world's music, uh, as if the world's music will attract the unbeliever to the gospel. That is such shallow thinking. And if we look at the nature and origins of much uh, contemporary music, uh, we will see how foolish that approach is. Uh, but we have this great danger of churches allowing the world to fashion the way they think. So, for example, because it is fashionable in the world to be concerned about global warming and saving the planet from carbon emissions, what do we find? We find the churches embracing the climate change agenda. And by doing so, they are denying the truth that God alone controls the climate. But, but this is conformity to the world. Whereas being a Christian means complete separation from the world and the world's way of thinking. I mean, when did we last hear church leaders say that cohabitation outside of marriage is sinful? You see, they have quietly conformed to the world and they've remained silent on that subject. But fornication is a sin. And it's our task to tell the world that it is a sin. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And so... As Christians, we can't join in some kind of crusade with non-believers to improve society. Because the non-believers have a completely different outlook to us as Christians. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And, and so Christians, for example, uh, cannot join with Marxists to create a wonderful welfare state. You see, that's conforming to the world. Now, there is the danger of uh, the churches just being overwhelmed by the pressures of the world all around them. And, and, and if we look at the history of the 20th century... Uh, it was very fashionable in the universities, uh, particularly in the earlier parts of the 20th century, uh, to be Marxist or communist. And uh, frequently the churches um, followed suit. And, and Methodism was destroyed by embracing a social gospel. Let's improve everybody's material conditions. Let's make everybody equal. Methodism was destroyed by concentrating on that message instead of preaching about Jesus Christ crucified 
for sinners. And so we, we might be tempted as Christians, well, how do we make our message attractive to the world? Well, let's spend all our time talking about poverty and the need to abolish poverty. Or let's spend all our time talking about equality and the need to make everybody equal. And of course, once one goes down that route, then the church is getting into real trouble. Oh, well, I want to choose this particular lifestyle. Oh, well, everybody's equal, you see. So if equality is what we have to maintain, um, then we see suddenly that we are being tempted to abandon biblical values in favour of this secular concept called equality. We have to be separate from the world, uh, both in its ways of thinking uh, and also in those things in the world which are attractive. There are many attractive things in the world and even we as Christians can be allured by the world. And, and that is why John is saying here in this verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He's actually addressing believers, of course. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we must be on our guard against being allured by the things of this world, adopting the world's attitudes and being drawn away by the world's enticements. How easy it is for Christian believers to give, for example, a second place in their lives to prayer, Bible study, worship and evangelism because of the attraction of other things in the world. And these other things might be quite legitimate things, but they can still allure us away from a total devotion to the Lord. Hobbies, leisure pursuits, material comfort, the culture of the day, career progress, any other earthly concern, there is a danger that it might take precedence over our following the Lord. And of course, there's always this pressure, as we have mentioned, of current fashionable thinking. Well, if we do conform ourselves to the world, John is telling us here that we are not loving the Father. So that is how serious this issue is. Now, in Galatians 6 and verse 14, Paul says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And so Paul is stressing there his complete non-attachment to the world. The world is crucified to him. It is that which is dead. Its attractions and its philosophies count for nothing. The world is an object of contempt for Paul. Likewise, he himself is crucified to the world. Paul is an object of contempt as far as the world is concerned. The world wants nothing to do with the Apostle Paul. 
One of the marks of a true believer is that he readily incurs the world's displeasure. Now, we don't go around deliberately trying to upset people, of course not. But if we are being faithful, we will sooner or later incur the world's displeasure and rejection. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, if a professing Christian loves the world, he is not actually a true Christian. That is how important this is. And even genuine believers can still be sidetracked by the allurements of this temporary world. We must not even allow the legitimate things of life to become ends in themselves. Now, our earthly concerns, of course, are important. We have to earn a living. We have to care for our families. And God desires our earthly happiness. But we must always keep these proper concerns in perspective. Never making them subordinate to love for God. Colossians 3 verse 1. If then ye were raised together with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are upon the earth. And so there again, Paul is warning the Colossian Christians about not being diverted by earthly concerns. And our Lord explains this vividly in the parable of the sower. Luke 8 verse 14, the seed which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard God's word, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. And so there we learn that the world has an enormous potential to stifle our spiritual life. And the world can do this almost imperceptibly, creeping up on us. And we are beginning to focus on the things of this world above the things of God. There's an interesting verse in 2 Timothy 4, which reminds us of the dangers of the allurements of this world. And we're talking now about professing Christians. 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now we're speaking here of someone who was involved in the work of the gospel. On the front line, alongside the Apostle Paul. But we're not told the exact reason, but something to do with his earthly concerns, he abandoned that work. Because the world 
took on a higher focus in his life than the gospel. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 29 The time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 31. The fashion of this world passeth away. Now Paul there in 1 Corinthians 7 is not telling us to abandon our earthly obligations and our earthly enjoyments, such as our family commitments. Indeed, attending to those are an aspect of our Christian service. But he is saying that there is a danger of so overworking earthly attachments that we have nothing left if we lost those earthly attachments. The greatest earthly joy will of necessity only be temporary. We must not place our hopes and security in the things of this world. Not even the wholesome things. But we must make the Lord alone our trust. And so someone might say very harmlessly and innocently, for example, I live for my family. Now, should a Christian say that? Now, one's family is a blessing from God and it's, it's a wonderful blessing. And we constantly praise God for the joys of family life. But we live for the Lord, not for any earthly attachment. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The things of this world are all temporary and fleeting. But what a hold they can have, even on Christians. John, here in verse 16 identifies three particular characteristics of worldliness which draw men away from God. The first is the lust of the flesh. Now, flesh is the general scriptural term for a man's whole fallen nature inclined to evil. Uh, but here in this particular context, John is using the word flesh um, simply to refer to our physical bodies. You see, much sin originates in the desire to gratify and pamper the body's senses. And uh, if we think about the current great problem of drug taking, ultimately that is a, a desire to satisfy the senses of the physical body to have an elated experience and so the lust of the flesh and the associated drug taking 
which so many are involved in, and, and which leads also, of course, to so much crime. This is all an aspect of the lust of the flesh. And, and, and so those involved in this kind of activity, they need the gospel. That's what they need, because only the gospel can release a person from this slavery to the lusts of the flesh. You see, devoid of the Holy Spirit, man is mere body, mere flesh, mere animal passion, with no desire to serve God. The world around him excites his sensual appetites. And so many are in a, a, a frantic desire for elation. This is why people drink alcohol to excess. Desperately in search of a so-called good time and good feeling. And uh, there are many areas of life uh, which are actually an attempt to satisfy the flesh. And we do have to point out to a very real phenomenon in our, in our own day concerning music, uh, particularly rock music. Now, music's a wonderful gift of God. Uh, and and it's, it's a delight to, to, to listen to find music. It can really stir one's heart. But there is much contemporary music which is utterly unwholesome. And we can even go so far as to say it is satanic. And indeed, um, some of the contemporary rock performers would not deny that statement, that it is satanic. So thinking of rock music uh, in particular, with its frenzied, incessant beat, what is the beat aimed at? It's aimed at sensual excitement uh, and one thing we always notice when we are witnessing uh, at pride parades as the floats come by they always have loud amplified rock music and they're gyrating to this rock music uh, and they're depending upon the heavy beat to excite them to appeal to the lust of the flesh. And so um, we have to understand that uh, music is not a neutral thing. Music can be used as the devil's instrument. Philippians 3 verse 18. Many walk being the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now, here Paul is talking about worldliness. And Paul even had to deal with professing Christians who live to satisfy their physical appetites, to eat and to drink. People who are slaves to the passion of the moment preoccupied with earthly sensations and pleasures. And so let us understand what this 
expression, the lust of the flesh, means. The lust of the flesh is of the world. Uh, We have an example of the lust of the flesh in the way the Israelites behaved as they came out of the wilderness. Uh, Or rather, as they went into the wilderness. Uh, Numbers 11 and verse 4. The children of Israel wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons, and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Now, here we see how the lust of the flesh can simply overtake a person. God was miraculously feeding the Israelites in the wilderness with this food which was perfectly suited for the wilderness, namely the manna which came down every day from heaven. (coughs) But the Israelites rejected this God-given food. And they demonstrated that their belly was really their God. And they, although they'd been brought out of slavery in Egypt, they were looking back longingly to their days in Egypt when we ate onions, we ate garlic, we ate leeks. You see, they're governed simply by their stomachs. And The unbeliever who's in the world without the Spirit of Christ, he is a slave to the gratification of the moment. And the world and its attractions can so easily become an all-consuming focus to the detriment of one's soul. And of course, on a a more sophisticated level, we still have to be aware of the allurements of the things of this world. A man may have the house, the career, the comfortable lifestyle, the holidays, the technological gadgets, the hobbies, everything to smooth life along. But all these earthly things are empty, temporary blessings if the giver of them is ignored. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. A man may have all the right-on, politically correct attitudes, And so feel at home in contemporary society. Because he conforms to fashionable worldly thinking, he will probably be regarded as quite a good person. However, he will soon have to face his maker, dead in his sins and under God's wrath. His conformity to the world and his love of the world will not save him on the day of judgment. To live life ignoring the spiritual aspect of one's being, 
is ultimately to bring oneself down to the level of the animals. The Apostle Peter actually describes hardened, defiant sinners as natural brute beasts because they are slaves to what John calls here in verse 16 the lust of the flesh. And so a man can become a a slave to his lusts. He can become as a natural brute beast, bereft of spiritual life, suppressing the knowledge of God. Uh, And even men who have achieved a, a high level of learning and cultural appreciation, Uh, Even they desire to bring men down to the level of the beasts because what do they say? They say that we're all descended from the beasts anyway. They say man is no more than an animal. That, That is what the theory of evolution teaches. We are just developed animals. Well, if we are, that means that we are a slave to the lusts of the flesh. And John is teaching us that without the Spirit of Christ, yes, that's, that's what we're like. Man without the regenerating work of the Spirit is utterly deficient and incomplete. You see, God created our physical bodies to be temples of the Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, a man is a slave to sin. And tends to be preoccupied with satisfying his bodily cravings. Now, as we've mentioned, even Christians, even true believers, can be led astray by the attractions of this world. Think of King Solomon. Now, he was a true believer. He was a true believer, of course. But he was led astray by the lust of the flesh. Satisfying the cravings of the body. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 3. I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine. Yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom. So Solomon sought to make his love of wine into a, a respectable Um, aspect of increasing his learning and so he he obviously knew about the dangers of excessive drinking uh, and and he wasn't pursuing that but he gave himself to learning everything that he possibly could about wine and wine making so that he became an absolute connoisseur and what he was endeavouring to do was to maximise the bodily sensation which derives from the enjoyment of fine wines. Now, again, we're not saying here there's anything wrong with having a a glass of wine. We're not going down that path. But if you look at what Solomon did, he, he just gave himself to this and was seeking for fulfillment and satisfaction in it. Uh, and, of course... What, what is the prevailing theme in Ecclesiastes? It is that all is vanity. So Solomon sought to know everything he could about fine wine, but he eventually uh, 
came to the conclusion that it was just a vain search. Without the Holy Spirit, the desires of the physical body could easily assume an unhealthy precedence. And even believers can be drawn astray. 1 Peter 2.11 I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. As those whose permanent home is not this world, Christians must shun the lusts of the flesh, which characterises those who have nothing to live for but this world. So John focuses upon an aspect of the world by using this term, the lust of the flesh. And then he goes on in verse 16 to speak of the lust of the eyes. This also is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so the lust of the eyes has the power to draw men away from God. Now, by the lust of the eyes, John means desires especially associated with the eyes themselves. The look that leads to coveting and overconcern for material things. Things morally neutral or, or even wholesome can become objects of sinful desire, if not kept in their right place. And so we must take care not to eye up worldly things and become so distracted that we neglect the service of God. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10, Solomon says, Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. So even Solomon a mature believer allowed the lust of the eyes to get the better of him. Not in terms of base physical gratification, but on the sophisticated, artistic, cultural and aesthetic level. He engaged in great architectural, horticultural and landscaping projects. He surrounded himself with aesthetic beauty. But none of these things ultimately satisfied him. And he came to realise the folly of looking for fulfilment in the things of this world. And then finally in verse 16, John speaks of the pride of life being not of the Father but of the world. The pride of life, that could also be rendered as the boasting of living. It refers to men's personal pride at what they are and what they do. It is the self-assurance that thinks that life can be lived without reference to God. Now that was the sin of Satan himself, who would be like God, his own master. And so, this pride of life is an empty presumption which trusts in the stability of earthly things. It also includes the empty pride in receiving the praise of others. The world likes to bestow 
awards and honours. But this usually has no bearing on a man's relationship to God. The true Christian will receive little praise from men. The Pharisees, although very religious, presumed upon their own goodness. And they were admired by others. But to God, they were men of this world and not of his kingdom. So let us summarise. These two verses are teaching us that the world is a system of belief utterly opposed to the kingdom of Christ. Becoming a Christian means separation from this world. And then maintaining that separation throughout our Christian lives. The world has three particular characteristics with power to draw men away from God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So where do our real affections lie? Let us ensure that we set our affections on the things above, upon the things of God. Let us be aware of the dangers of being led astray by the things of this world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Amen.